an evangelist is a man who's an itinerant preacher who schedules meetings in churches and he has to have a fifth wheel. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> you know, I otherwise he's not. I my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he's not truly called if he didn't it have a fifth wheel. It almost came out my nose right there. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm Thomas here with Daniel. Hey, for great, great to have you. 91. Wow. Almost there. We're creeping up to 100. 100. That's right. We need to have like a like a virtual cake or something when we get to 100. <laughs> virtual <Yeah>. cake. <laughs> okay. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll let yeah. you get started on that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, Or I can just, I can have a real cake on this end and I can be eating it, you know, and saying, mm, isn't this great, Tom? You know, congratulations. <laughs> 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 Thanks for all your help. Uh so, so what are we? Uh, what do we got going on? Well, uh, first, I want to thank our sponsors over at uh, our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/ReasonTogether. All of you that have jumped on board in the last months, I'm really touched by that and thankful for your continued support of, uh, of the episodes that we're putting out here. And uh, and I thank you for that and hope that you'll continue to give us some feedback and even pass it on to your friends as you find this uh, this helpful. And if you're interested in this podcast, you've been listening for a while and you say, I like that. Uh, this fits a niche. This is a, a good conversation about just connecting practical things back to the Bible and, and seeing how they fit. And uh, if you like this and would like to become a supporter, you just go to patreon.com slash reason together and sign up for various, uh, you know, for whatever level you'd like to there on a per episode basis. You can put a cap on it for the month. And even if you don't, we love that you're listening. And uh, even if you provide some feedback at reason together podcast at gmail.com, we'd love for you to become part of the conversation that way. I see here on our list, though, Tom, that we've got uh, some feedback. Um, that we didn't yep. we we last episode i think the majority of the last episode it seemed like to me was feedback yeah uh, which is great I, we love that um and, and we even had this one that was a pretty substantial feedback so we didn't even really touch it because that yeah. was it was it was going to take us too long but um but before we jump into that we were just talking about a project that you were doing and you're really moving along on a renovation project in your own home and, uh, and of course, if you if you listen to this podcast and you know how uh, uh, able Tom is, of course he's doing the work himself. Okay, and so I saw the pictures. He's on the stilts. He's doing his own drywall mudding. And honestly, if there's a part of of reconstruction, I like you know learning stuff. But when it comes to the drywall, I'm kind of like, I really don't want to do it. I mean, mm. I, I maybe get the idea about the drywall, and I and I've mudded myself a little bit in the past, but um, that's. If I had to pick a spot probably where I'd pay somebody, I, I know that's that's where it would be. That's where it was for our last renovation at home. Drywall. <laughs> you know, when it gets down to the drywall, I'll be like, yep, pay somebody else to do that. You know, I've heard other people say the same thing about drywall, and I, I yeah. wonder what it is that it's, everybody hates drywall so much. What is it you don't like about it? Well, when I tried it one time, I just, I don't think I did a very good job with it, you know, and then you go to sand it and then there's all the little holes and little divots and you try to do, it's just a messy. And if you don't really have the finesse and the technique down, um, it probably gets irritating really fast after the first coat, you know, if you don't know how to, now I, I suppose if I got good at it. You know, or if I, if I tried it more, I would say, oh, this is enjoyable. Yeah. But you feel like you've kind of got it down pretty good as far as... Yeah, I've done it a lot over the years, and yeah. uh, it doesn't seem to bother me much. Um, there, are, <laughs> there are a few things that are, are frustrating, because you have to do a lot of prep work 
to get it right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just making sure that all the studs in the walls are, are flush, that nothing's sticking yeah. proud. And, of course, you're never going to have square corners. <laughs> That's just not going to happen unless your house is brand spanking new and whoever built it was a perfectionist. Um, so you do end up having to scribe things. But I find that trying to be too precise with it can almost hurt you uh, more with drywall because yeah, you have to remember you're going to be putting crown molding or baseboard. So you got to give yourself a little bit of leeway for there to be some yes. sway in the floor or in the ceiling. Uh to, to, you know, be able to seat that in there nicely. So. And it seemed like I just ran across another thing recently and I don't remember right off the top of my head what it was, but, but, you know, dry, it used to be drywall was the thing probably that I thought, yep, I would, that that's my least favorite. I don't mind plumbing so much electrical. I like that. Um, but there was something up that came just recently and I, and I wish I remembered what it was. And I thought, oh, that's another thing I don't care for. <laughs> yeah. But if I think of it, I'll, I'll yeah. say it. But anyway, I'm glad that's moving along for you. Yeah, thanks. And uh, yeah. Yep. How, what else? Anything else going on? I, I has Have things opened up in your area as far as I was thinking about you today and, and getting back to your training and finishing your yeah. black belt training. Is that any closer that we no, know? No, right now Not the really. governor is wanting to reopen the state on the 20th of May. Okay, which wow. Which is a Wednesday. Well, that's good. But it's probably going to be a soft opening. He's not going to be opening everything at once. Right, so sure. Right. gyms, which is what my martial arts school falls under as a gym, will not be reopening on the 20th. They're, okay. they're getting okay. pushed back later. So right now that's kind of the tentative day we're looking at. I honestly think people are getting frustrated with it more. Uh, not mm-hmm, that they're mm-hmm. necessarily uh, angry. They're just, they kind of, they they purposefully forget. <laughs> I think, you know, especially on nice weather days, people are out and about. I don't think people yeah, really want to think about this. Purposely forget that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, what? oh, oops. Was there was a governmental order out? A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think yeah. people are going to get back to normal pretty soon, um, I hope. Yeah, I I was thinking about this because I think there are a lot of people getting frustrated, like you say, and you know, the weather's getting nice and they're tired of being uh, kind of cooped up like that. And I thought about from a spiritual angle, and I'm not, we've had, you know, the full discussion on, you know, uh, constitutional rights and all that stuff. But to go to, just to, to remind our listeners of, of something important when it comes to this spiritual matter of patience, you know, I think about James one, four and it says, but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. And so when it comes to that place where your faith is tried, where you say, man, I I'm struggling in my job, you know, I, or I, my, my income's not what it used to be, or I don't, I don't see how we're, how we're going to survive through this thing, your faith is being tested mm-hmm. and it's being sure. tried. In the Bible, James is saying that as your faith is tested, you develop endurance or that concept of patience. And as you mm-hmm. let patience have a full work in your life, it actually has the potential of maturing you as a believer. So we want to be mature and we want to be better Christians, and and God may be permitting this opportunity right here to mature some people in a significant way, um, sure. it's not not the environment that we like, but um, but it's certainly a place where if if we'll let if we'll let it work and we'll let the Lord build that endurance in our lives and try our faith and become more grounded in Him, we'll come we can come out of it uh, more full, more complete, more mature. Yeah, well said. Good in uh, good encouragement, encouraging good. thoughts there uh, for our listeners. It's good. 
Good. So what do you want to dive into as we as we start today? Well, we've got this email here with all this feedback, and it's okay. a longer one. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know if it's going to take up the whole episode or not. I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to dive into this one? Sure, sure. Okay. I, I don't I honestly don't remember uh, totally what it says, so let's just kind of jump yeah, into I it. Yeah, I don't either. See. There's multiple things here from probably several episodes, the last two or three episodes. Okay. Um, this is from Derek, uh, one of our patrons. He says, your conversation regarding Jason's divorce and how he's looked upon by others and his defense uh, or lack thereof made me think of another topic of discussion. I've known a number of men who are godly, active in the church, have solid families, but were divorced prior to or sometimes after salvation, but through no real fault of their own. Their wife refused to accept Christ or follow their husband in growth and service to God. Many churches, because of this, will not allow them to lead a ministry or, more importantly, serve in a position of leadership, particularly as a deacon. I'm wondering your thoughts on this. I know this can be a charged subject. I think this has some critical aspects of forgiveness embedded as well as interpretation of the scriptures. I've seen the passages referring to a husband of one wife as present tense, um, not throughout their whole life, unsaved or not. I'm not sure I meaning, understand that. Meaning they need to be the—he's heard the argument they need to be the husband of one wife right oh, now. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. You, you know, like mm-hmm. in the present, not speaking to their whole life. One at a time. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Derek goes on. I've also seen it interpreted as not a polygamist. I think it's good to declare both your positions personally, but even more so possible versus impossible interpretations. Now, and that's an interesting point. I like that the way he he comes at that is to say, okay, maybe there's some maybe there's disagreement on what it could mean. But also there is a there's a place where we go, well, it absolutely doesn't mean that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that and that even in other discussions, yeah. that's good to say, what does this obviously not mean before we talk about what it means? That's right. good. Okay. Do you uh, have some thoughts on that first? Um, well, I guess I'll just because this is a candid conversation, and uh, and our listeners realize that this is a conversation. This isn't like a, again, we 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 open this feedback and said, yeah, let's jump into this question. Um, I might. I, I wish I was more studied on you know a very articulate answer here, and sometimes we may think out loud, or we might say you know come back later and go oh okay yeah maybe that would be a better answer. But right off the top of my head, I'm going to tell you where I stand with it, and that would be that uh, in in our ministry, in our position, we hold the fact that a deacon uh, should not be a divorced man mm-hmm. or priorly prior divorced man. Um, and I think that comes with some natural, you know, some some arguments of basically the example that you're setting by putting somebody in a leadership role. Now, it's not to say that a person who is a divorcee, um, it's not to say that they were majorly at fault or that they're in a constant state of wickedness or they can't do anything for the Lord or they have no place of service in the ministry. That's not what that means. It just means that in specific places of leadership where they would be set as an example— right. Um, we don't see that as, as the best, the best thing. Um, and as far as the husband of one wife thing, um, I guess I would give a, a a thought on that is not just, somebody presented this to me recently and I, I think it has some merit to it. And again, I haven't like thought through it for hours, but not just literally we say in the, in the text, it's basically a one woman man. Yes. 
That's a correct. one woman man. And so really, even a man can be married and have wandering eyes. Mm-hmm. And we could question whether he's really a one woman man. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I say we, 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 we pin it to marital status, you know, like, okay, he is technically legally a one yeah. woman man, but his heart, he needs to have a one woman heart. Yes. You know what I mean? That, that he is faithful to his spouse. Now, uh, the other thing I would say as far as, you know, why, why you might look at uh, divorce as something that seems to disqualify for an extended period of time when, um, uh, and maybe I'm, uh, yeah, I guess it would kind of go to this, is when, uh, do I really want to dive into this, but is it Proverbs? Um, Proverbs, and I don't remember the chapter, but, um, you know, he that, I guess speaking to the concept of adultery, um, saying that he that goeth into his neighbor's uh, wife, um, am I, how does this go? His reproach shall not be wiped away. That's the phrase I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you say, well, well, there's forgiveness. Well, sure, there's forgiveness. Uh, but it's interesting that about that sin in particular, it says his reproach shall not be wiped away. So there is some sort of a, um, you know, a, a stain, maybe you could put it that way, a stain uh, that, right. that is left uh, on that life, yeah, right? Yeah, and, that... and I don't disagree. But I mean, from the standpoint okay. of Derek's email, he's, he's talking about someone who his wife left him. Uh, yeah. Kind of similar to Jason's scenario, and it was that no, no. I mean, he wanted to retain the marriage and and sustain the marriage, but she would have none of it. So imagine a scenario yes. like that. Um, so there's really no reproach on the man's part. There's no adultery there, right? Certainly not, right? Um, that that's kind of what Derek's getting at in his email, and and, and is, let me look look at it again. Is he wondering essentially why couldn't yeah, someone what, like that? serve. He says possible versus impossible interpretations of husband of one wife. Um, I, I, I agree with you, the interpretation of a one woman man. I think that is pretty faithful to the text there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a number of other really farcical interpretations that have been out there. Uh, really? the, the Roman Catholic interpretation is the idea of being married to one church. Oh, <laughs> married to the church. Right. Um, <laughs> which isn't really it, which not terribly surprising because sometimes they 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 uh translate or they interpret spiritually something that's rather physical yeah and then they'll untrans- translate something physical that's rather spiritual yeah <laughs> but anyway right. go ahead and, and then there's the uh the interpretation of a, a man who is an elder or a deacon or so must be married in other words he can't be a single man have you heard that one before yes yeah which I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to say that I. Uh, I don't agree with that one. I mean, you're not going to say that you don't. Oh, okay. So, so you would agree with that that a man who is a pastor or a deacon I, must I have be a to at, man. I have to at least consider that one. Yes, and I know the next question is if he's well. The text says that he also has to have children, so a man can't be a pastor if he doesn't have children. Um, and I have to say, I mean, my my initial thought is. That's what the text says. I mean, you know, how do you get around that? How do you get around that a man has to be the husband? We is say, it, oh, woman, woman can't be a pastor because she's not the husband of one wife. Right. Yeah, well, what about a single man who's not the husband of one wife? I mean, do you know it, what I mean? Do you think it has to do with the ability to be a leader? I mean, is that... In other words, can, can it, how no. can you know if a man is a leader, like the, test, like the text indicates, that how can he rule 
or if he can't rule over his own house, how can he rule over the church? Um, so it's it's kind of talking about leadership in that sense. So do sure. you think that having a, a, a wife and children is an exemplary uh, portrayal of his leadership abilities and thus is part of his qualifications to lead a church? Um, I see what you're saying, but it, it depends kind of on what you tie. At the beginning of that, uh, that passage, it says, must be, and, and, and that is in the original text. It's a word, day, I believe, D-E-I is what it would be transliterated, um, which literally means it is necessary. You know, Now, you might say, well, what it means is it's necessary that he be blameless. Okay, that's true. But if that necessary kind of ties to all of them, it's necessary that he be blameless, the husband of one wife. You know what I mean? Are we saying that these are just commendable traits or that they're necessary? I mean, are these qualifications for a bishop or are they just neat recommendations? Because if we say, well, that one just generally means that he needs to display leadership, then what do we mean by he needs to be hospitable? Mm-hmm. That that there's some other way to sort of demonstrate his leadership? You know what I mean? Yeah. So but I'm, if, curious, if God, yeah, I'm curious go then if... If he's married, <clears throat> but let's say he is physically impotent mm-hmm. uh, and unable to bear children, and and let's say his heart's desire was to be in the ministry, but now that he's married, he's realized that they can't have children. Is someone mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. not supposed to be in the ministry now? That's a good question. I mean, I mean, from a physical from a physical standpoint, because essentially that's an emotional question. I mean, I, I feel I'm like that's an, appeal- an honest question. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, but I feel like where it appeals to people is emotionally, like, oh, man, you're stealing the guy's dreams, you know, and poor guy, he can't help it, and blah, blah, blah. And I understand that. Um, and so I have to say, oh, I'm not, I don't know that I have a great answer for that yet. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, cause, I, mean uh, and I have I to think I through it. I don't intend for the question to be emotional. I'm just kind of thinking, okay, if well, a man no, it's has a, good a genuine question. call to the ministry or maybe to the mission field, he gets married, and all of a sudden he realizes now he can't have children, how do you reconcile a call of God? versus impotence, both well, which d- part of I, the sovereignty of God, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I don't, because if that is a proper, um, if that is a proper interpretation of it, that if, he, if, if God is saying you have to have children, um, then God's not going to call him and then uh, call an impotent man, if you know what I mean by that. He's not going to give him a call to preach and then not permit him to have children. So what I'm saying is that if if we're assuming that his call was genuine, then we can also assume that God is going to enable him to be able to fulfill that call, to be qualified to fulfill that call. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. Um, I'm not sure I entirely agree that with that. I'd have to do some thinking on that to develop a full position on it, because I, I do know yeah, people I, who have been called to the ministry, and to from what I believe, at least— from knowing them to be a genuine call to the ministry, but yet mm-hmm. God did not permit them to have children. Um, yeah, yeah. It makes me wonder. I understand. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah, and I don't. I don't disagree with the quandary. Uh, you know, nor am I totally like staking myself to that position. But I'm just saying, I've thought for a long time. Well, that is what the text says, yeah. and I'm not saying that I haven't known good men who didn't have children, who pastored churches, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I'm just saying that. It, when we're trying to approach the text honestly and not say, well, you know, socially, that just doesn't seem right. There's got to be a better way. So it must mean, you know, if I'm really trying to be honest with the text, I, I have to look at it and go, well, that seems like a possibility. I mean, 
-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know how to, me, I don't know how to work around it. Yeah. It also makes me wonder then, I mean, the office of apostle was a legitimate office. Mm -hmm. Why don't we see a qualification like that for the office of apostle? Uh, and I understand it's a different office than pastor. I get that. They're both right, spiritual right. leadership positions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not knowing specifically the reasoning uh, in God's mind as to why he requires the pastor or why he would require a pastor to be married and have children, mm -hmm. why wouldn't he have the same reasoning for a spiritual leader like an apostle? That that kind of makes me scratch my head. Yeah, I don't know. Are you, are you referencing the fact that because it's not stated or because it appears that Paul didn't have a wife and kids? Does that mean... Well, both. Where, okay. Yeah, it doesn't okay. appear that Paul had a wife or kids. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that kind of uh, going the other direction with it, the apostle, you know, kind of being a pre, obviously a pre-pastoral, uh, you know, calling, mm -hmm. meaning in, in chrono chronologically. Yeah. Um, we also say, well, what about the deacon? Uh, well, that's those, some of those qualifications are laid out, but then we say, we've kind of made up this, I don't, I don't know, maybe we haven't made it up, but I mean, we've sort of uh, characterized this uh, vocation of an evangelist. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. an evangelist is a man who's an itinerant preacher who schedules meetings in churches and he has to have a fifth wheel. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> you know, I otherwise he's not, my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he's not truly called. If he doesn't it have almost fifth came wheel. out my nose right there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, anyway, um, so we, we create, we say, well, what, what are the qualifications for an evangelist? Um, well, you know, the first evangelist in Scripture was a deacon, as I as I remember it. Am I, am I right? It was uh, Philip yeah. a deacon? Philip. Yeah. I, I think some might so, argue that it wasn't the same Philip, but I, I don't know that there's much evidence. Oh, really? That. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just to say, I mean, wouldn't it be consistent to say, well, if you're going to essentially carry on a quasi-pastoral, I mean, you're going to get up in the pastor's pulpit, if you will, and you're going to exercise that preaching that preaching capacity over a church in that way, wouldn't you sort of follow the same guidelines? But anyway, that's kind of another question similar to the apostle question, I guess. But hmm. anyway, um, that's just, uh, that's, that's some thoughts on it for somebody to chew on give me their, their feedback on. I guess if anybody gives me feedback, what I want to know though is not, I know a good guy who doesn't have kids and I think he's called to the ministry. I want to know how can you scripturally work around that? What what is what is a what is a reason that says here is why we should not interpret the scripture to mean that it is necessary for him to have kids? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because that's ultimately my ground of reasoning. It has to be well. What does the Bible say? And if they say, well, the Bible says this, but from my experience, this is what I know. Yeah. Well, it's not really that we have to judge our experiences by scripture, not our scripture by the experiences. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and yeah. I, the only answer that I could possibly give, and I'm not being dogmatic about it is, is that what it's indicating possibly is that should the man have a wife, he must be a one woman man. And should the man have children, he must be able to rule his own house. Well, mm -hmm. um, that's the only possible way that I can answer that question. Um, but yeah. I, there are grammarians who are much better at the text than I am. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, and I, and I have to go back and say, well, the text says, for if he cannot rule his own house well, how can he rule the church of God? Well, if he doesn't even have a house to rule, well, what does that do to the whole 
Yeah. You know, well, the argument there. He would but, presume that the rest of the qualifications that he would meet, which regard ruling himself. Yeah, yeah, right, right. He, his household essentially is himself, yes. would be that argument. Um, and what you were saying earlier, like the apostle argument, that comes closer to, you know, even if somebody can give an example from Scripture and say, kind of like to his point when he said, what can it not mean? You know, what's an impossible meaning? Kind of going that direction. For instance, when somebody says, um, baptism is necessary for salvation. Well, to me, it's a valid argument to go, what about the thief on the cross? Mm-hmm. You know? Sure. That's and then, and then you know, and say, well, he was never really immersed in water, and yet the Lord said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So that's that's a good argument to say, well, look, there's a there's a very clear, you know, scriptural example, not a not a doctrine so much yeah. as it's an example of something that would clearly violate what you say is being taught, you know, as a doctrine. So if, if I if somebody could help me out with that, that would yeah. be good too. Well, I, strange, we kind of took that in a slightly different direction, I think, than Derek was getting at. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to, to pull back for a second to, to Derek's application about a divorced man potentially yeah, being a deacon okay. and, and surrounding the phrase, a one-woman man or a husband of, of one wife, let's say for a moment that you could prove theoretically that a divorced mm-hmm. man could be a deacon. The question okay. to ask is, should he? Okay. You know what I mean? Let's say Yeah, you right, could... because there's a difference between could and should. Right. And that that's the difference between like you said right and wrong and wise and unwise. Right, exactly. So like even if you could prove from the text that yeah, a divorced man could be a deacon or a pastor, should he? And and my my first response is to say, well, no, I don't think he should. And and like if you had two candidates for deacon and and they were both all things being equal the same, in character and godliness and, and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The only difference is that one had prior been divorced. Uh, mm-hmm, one still mm-hmm. meets a tighter qualification to the text than the other, I think. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. yes. Uh-huh. Even if you could prove that it was permissible, I think one still meets a tighter qualification. So sure. so the question is then, should he? And I don't think he should, um, even if it wasn't his his choice. You mean you don't think he should if he is if he is side by side with somebody who better meets the qualifications, or you don't think he should ever? I mean, in a situation where no, I don't think he should a... ever. You know, theoretically okay. posed against, uh, um, let's say, uh, a fictitious person who meets all the qualifications, including never having been divorced. If he can't meet those qualifications, he's still not meeting the highest qualification. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, I think and, so. And even if the divorce was at no fault of his own and such, it's just one of the unfortunate uh, things that comes along with a divorce. Yes. As much as he could serve and be godly in every other way and be a blessing yes. to people in every other way, it's one of the unfortunate side effects of such a tragic thing as divorce. And, and that and that's a good way to put it, and, and still just be you know kind of candid and honest about it is to say it's this isn't something we're saying you know we rejoice in in the sense that. Yeah, that's right. You know, stick it to them. You know, you, they can't have that ministry. But to say that's just one of the unfortunate right. side effects of that that sin. Yeah. And whether whether the guy says, you know, no, well, it really wasn't my sin. Well, but sometimes you're affected by other people's sin. Right. And and so if your wife made that terrible mistake, might she have affected your ability to to minister in certain ways? Yes. Yeah. And you know, interestingly, I think um, when you look at the text there in First Timothy three. Um, regarding pastors and then later deacons, 
there's a lot of those qualifications that all kind of fall under one broad rubric, which is the word blameless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like an umbrella category in the chapter where a lot of other That's... qualifications fall under it. Yes. And, and the right. matter of That's what I've divorce, heard. even if he's blameless in his character on a practical and spiritual level in every other way, it does, in a sense, affect his blamelessness kind of unfairly to him, but it does. Yeah. Because someone yes. who maybe doesn't know his entire history or story, uh, who finds out that he's divorced and now he's a deacon, they might be able to blame him. Good, good. And I think, see, that's, I was kind of touching on that earlier, but what I, the verse I was using was more for somebody who said, you know, boy, in the past I was loose and I made some mistakes, but then I got saved and now I want to serve the Lord. Well, in that, in that way, you're not blameless. That reproach isn't wiped away. But even if you say, well, a guy didn't, you know, he didn't commit the adultery. He didn't, uh, and, 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 you know, when, when his, when his wife left, he, you know, he just remained, he remained single. He was godly. He raised his kids. Amen. You know, but like you say, there's still something to, did it affect that ability of somebody to point the finger and say, hey, wait, you know, why can't I do this if this guy, right. you know, went through this or whatever? And, and maybe even still improperly charge him, but there's still, there is still a slight cause to point the finger and, uh, and it kind of yeah. does tarnish that blamelessness, doesn't it? It does. And, and, and to go even further, I think there's a spirit of the principle here as well, rather than just the letter of, of the principle. Good. Um, no, explain what you mean. What I, what I mean by is if the text says the husband of one wife, and let's presume for a minute that that means uh, never having been divorced, <clears throat> obviously that's the letter of the principle there. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say you could prove from the text that he could somehow still be a deacon. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think of what marriage is intended to picture, mm. Ephesians 5, right? It's meant to picture Christ and the church, which is an indissoluble union, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, the spirit of the principle is marriage is picturing something that's indissoluble, and yet divorce has dissolved it. In, in a sense. Has, the, has marred the picture. Marred the picture. Certainly. So even if you could get by saying, okay, there is no letter of the principle here. You know, a divorced man could certainly be a deacon. Let's say you could say that. Should he? Well, I don't know. It kind of mars the spirit of the principle. Can can I take that back and um, and apply that same argument to what we were talking about with the pastor? If the pastor is supposed to be... If his pastor and his marriage are supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church, and if his family and his home are supposed to be exemplary of what a church and a community and a Christian home ought to be, we might make the argument, well, he could be the pastor if he's single, or he could be the pastor without having had children. My question is, should he be? We can at least apply that argument and say, is it is it really wisest to have a single man as the pastor, or is it wisest to have a man? You know, if you could make the argument that he could be the pastor without a wife or without children, yeah. would it still be wisest for him to be? Yeah, it's certainly worth considering I, I, from that angle. And I think yeah. that yeah, if that if we're using if we're using that argument for deacons, can't that transfer back into the same discussion of of bishop? I suppose it could. What about yeah. a widower? Well, see, to me, in in a sense, like, now, here's the way I take it, is obviously, it doesn't mean that his children are always in his home, you know, like, 
like, well, you can't, you, I'm sorry, you guys can't get married and leave the home because I have to keep pastoring here and you have to, no. But I mean, to me, the extension is there. He had a family. He ruled them well. They were a good example. He had that experience. Yeah. He had a wife. Um, you know, she, okay, so she's deceased, but he was, he's, he was still faithful to her. Now, again, is it wise necessarily for, for a single man to pastor at least for an extended period of time. You know, I still have to question, I don't know if that's, a, if that's the ideal situation. But to me, I'm not as bothered by a man having had a family or having had a wife who passed away or something like that right. but it doesn't as still, meet, still meeting the requirement. It doesn't meet the strict requirements of the text, though, if we take it to the strictest. Um, if his wife has died and his children have moved out, I mean, according to the strictness that you were applying earlier, we'd have to also say now that that man is disqualified. In what way? I mean, how strict do you feel like I'm taking? <clears throat> well, I mean, I know you weren't being dogmatic. I'm just saying mm -hmm. the from the strictness of the argument, what you were saying earlier is, how can we get around what the text says? It says he has to be the husband yeah. and the wife. Right. You know, you'd have to apply that right. same uh, principle then to a man who's you a mean... widower and whose children have moved out. Yeah. Um, well, again, if you... And I have to look back at the actual uh, verbs of the text. You know, is it saying... He has to be the husband of one wife, like, like he currently, like the woman has to be living. To say I'm a one-woman man, if I said I was married and, and I was faithful to her and she passed away, does that make me any less of a one-woman man? You know what I mean? <clears throat> now, I guess the, the hard, what would be harder is if I got to the, your children must be in subjection with all gravity. Like, yeah. okay, now they're married and out of the house and they have to be in subjection. Okay, I guess that's where the issue comes in. I see what you're... Yeah. I, mean, I, I get what you're getting at, so yeah. Yeah, because um, I mean, a man could be a one-woman man even after his wife dies. He could, And a one-woman man is, I guess, maybe a, a portion of integrity is what that is. Yes. Um, he can oh, yeah, have yes. that even right. before he's married, saying, you know, I'm waiting for the right one, the one that the Lord brings along, and I'll have eyes only for her. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose that's kind of a stretch. I mean, I understand it's, it's kind of like, uh, although that woman stands in like the virtual position. Who is she? What is right. she? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what she looks like, but I will be a one woman man. Right. Yeah, well. But I mean, she would stand in a virtual position after being dead also. <laughs> so, you, you know what I mean? There's just ad nauseum. You could go on and on yeah. with uh, just looking at it different ways, but... Uh, um, but I would say in the latter, but that he, there actually was a woman. Yeah. Well, sure. Because <laughs> at least then he's experienced with home leadership. He's at least right. had the experience of it. Sure. Um, sure. But if, if we're talking about a one woman man, we're talking about a matter of integrity in which he's At he's least faithful. in part. I, I think yeah. it can, it, it, it doesn't necessarily just mean one or just the other. Like he just has to currently be married to one woman or he just has to have, you know, his heart for one woman. Well, it may be both, that he ought to be married and he ought to be committed yeah. to that one woman. Yeah. You know, but. but overarching, I think that part of pastoral qualification is a man that honors original intent. You know, when we talk so, about whoa. original intent of the scriptures or, you know, people use the phrase original intent of the, the writers of the Constitution, right? Sure. Uh, the what was the original intent in marriage? Genesis 2 that they too become one flesh, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And procreate. Right. Right. Till death do us part is original intent. Mm -hmm. And 
while there's a whole host of pastoral qualifications and deacon qualifications, I think one that's not overtly stated, and maybe I'm kind of reading in between the lines there, is, is a guy who honors original intent of Scripture. Um, he looks at Scripture and says, you know, not just what the letter says, but what does the Lord mean here? What does the Lord want here? Uh, how can I understand the mind of the Lord on this matter? And if that's the original intent of God, then I want to honor it. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So I, I, yeah, draw that out for me, though. Where are you going with that exactly? What do well, you I'm mean? I'm simply when, saying so when, that from the matter of a divorced man being a deacon or a pastor uh, uh, in some okay, way, okay. Um, okay. even if he could prove with the grammar or whatever that mm-hmm. he can hold that office, he should honor original intent, I think. Okay, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay, to move on to the next uh, section that with this feedback covered, it says, I think... Uh, he says, I believe he means your, I think your shop local discussion was interesting. I would say there are some additional factors you may not have considered. Okay, good. I like this. Uh, number one, just as Asians might have an affinity for certain foods and an Italian might have a different affinity, as conservative Christians and or Bible believers, we have a natural aversion to universalism, both when it comes to the church and having an understanding of revelation and the one world order that will come. I see this prevail in a multitude of areas. I don't prefer most things that are big. I see many potential, if not probable, problems. Um, but big towns breed anonymity, as to big, as do, I think he means, big churches. Individualism is lost, and sin abounds more. Okay, I would, uh, I would agree about the... Uh, the anonymity, anonymity. Now, I don't know that I would say sin abounds more in a large church, but anyway, just a simple comparison of urban versus rural will will reveal that. Number two, when I buy a product personally, I think of more than the product I'm buying. Other thoughts come into my evaluation of the purchase, and this is good. Will they be able to support me if I have problems with the widget? And that's part of the issue. We were, we did discuss that. Now, some online spot places do provide good support. Some don't at all. Uh, some local hometown places, you take it back in there, they know what they're dealing with, and they may support it. Uh, is the widget something that I can support and fix myself? Is there someone local that I would buy it from and be more confident in their services than someone remote? Will they be able to resupply if needed? Will they buy from my store, Reciprocal Business? And many other thoughts along those lines. I almost never look at just price, for buyers who are merely price shoppers, this is the appeal of online or big box stores. And that's and that's true. I mean, isn't that the huge draw of online shopping is that you, elim- you eliminate overhead, you know, in the middleman, and you offer a cheaper product. And honestly, that's what a lot of people, that is a sort of a, I would imagine, I don't have any hard data on this, but that is a premier component of their shopping is what's, wh- where can I get the most for the least? Yeah. You know, so if I'm going to go to a store that's going to charge me 140% of what I could get it online, I'll buy it online, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I'm glad that he's thinking about other things. Um, so I do, you, what, from what he's saying in, in the first point, is he basically saying that maybe we just sort of have a built-in aversion to the global marketplace because of our whole understanding of revelation and like, like the Antichrist and one and globalism, is that kind of what he's saying? And that that seems to it's, tend that way? It seems like it, that Christians okay. knowing future prophetic things would have a more natural suspicion or aversion okay. to okay. the global marketplace. Um, I, I think that's what he's getting at. 
Yeah. Okay. But despite that, really, I mean, okay, so we know that one day, you know, one day there's going to be an antichrist and, you know, all things it seems are, are, are combined or whatever. Does that make, you know, shopping in a more global way sinful? No. Do you have to feel like you're contributing to like the bringing on of the one world government no. <laughs> if you shop at Amazon? To me, no. No. I, don't, I mean, I don't think so. anyway. Yeah. Because that could go a thousand ways. Oh, you use a credit card with a chip. Oh, that's going to, you know, they're going to use that in the end time, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, yeah. So, okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> no, I think it is interesting. You know, he points out just a simple comparison of urban versus rural will yes. reveal that. And he's talking about big towns breeding anonymity, as do big churches. Individualism is lost and sin abounds more. Um, it's, uh, it's, I mean, there's a lot of thoughts that can go around thinking about that you know i think we program ourselves to think that small town america people somehow don't have the same sin nature Mm, um mm -hmm. they absolutely do and i think if you took them and put them in the same environment uh as big city crowds i think they'd eventually Mm -hmm. turn into the same thing in fact how do you think cities get that way (laughs) right it's from a bunch of those people meeting in the same place all the time. It's it's just that there's more opportunity, wouldn't you yes. say, and more encouragement in an uh, mm. urban environment. Yes, and and the bigger places get, they often attract more of the same. Ah, uh, yes, because it's available there. It's available. So I go there, mm-hmm. sure. I just, I just want to be clear that I, I think sometimes we yes. err when we forget, no, we all have the same sin nature. Um, small town America has the same sin nature as New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might make yeah. a lot of listeners really mad, but hey, it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and now I, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, that's a good way of putting it. It's just the same sin yeah. nature. I it's mean, not, I've stood on the porch. Obviously, obviously the urban, urban centers seem to uh, develop more progressive mindsets sure. and begin to display sinful thought processes a lot more boldly and Mm -hmm. a lot quicker, obviously, than a rural environment. But that is, in part, isn't it, because of the collection and the availability and the the ability for that that to get traction and have a voice. Yeah, and it's because of the the anonymity that Derek talks about. When you're in a crowd of people, you can kind of hide in the crowd. And people just start to... Support a cause that you don't have to put your face on. Right. Well, you can even behave in a way that... You often yes. wouldn't if you were in a small town environment, because um, there people will notice you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was going to say yeah. I've stood on the porch uh, uh, talking to people in small town America, and and they're just as stubborn many times about receiving Christ as people in yeah. the big cities. Sure. Um, the all, the only difference I often observe in the two is that in small town America, they know they need the Lord, they know they need church, they just won't. Whereas a lot of times in the big cities, they're like, what? God who? Yeah, they're more ignorant of it because they're further removed. Yeah. Yeah. In his next uh, point here, he says, regarding regarding COVID-19 and freedoms, I'm not sure I agree that we can only fight back when they command us to sin. Okay. Those are in quotes, fight back and command us to sin. I see pushing back on these types. Uh, I see pushing back on these types of overreach, even if it's not directly against the church, as taking care of the little foxes. Now, this is an interesting point. 
The reason I would push back on simple or what some might think trivial things is to protect my freedom to share the gospel. I don't want to wait until they're restricting my gospel sharing abilities to push back. I don't see that as wise or even biblical. We avoid the appearance of evil, and likewise, when my government does something that has the appearance of of attempting to or moving toward restricting my liberties, the same liberties I use to share the gospel, I'm duty-bound to push back. I I think that's interesting of him saying, basically— I don't let it become great. Yeah. When it's small, I begin to push back. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I think it's based on some of the things that uh, that I had said in that episode. And I think okay. maybe he misunderstood me. Okay. Um, because he's almost saying, I'm not sure I agree. So it's, it's like he's disagreeing right. with something I, I presume that I said. Um, okay. Because I was, I was saying that um, a lot of these things that are happening right now did not really appear to be an overt attack on religious freedoms at the outset. And I mm-hmm. think maybe he read that to mean that we just shouldn't do anything about it. Um, okay. And if you go okay. back to the listen, listen to the episode, I never said we should do nothing about it. In fact, you asked me a direct question. You said, do you believe that you can speak out about it? And I said, absolutely. As mm. United States citizens, we have the ability to speak out against things that we believe are infractions or uh, infringements upon our religious freedoms. And we can do that at the ballot box. We can file lawsuits. There is a right way to file lawsuits. Uh, we can write things to the press. Um, we can write our, our Congress people. Uh, there are ways to push back. I think what's happening here is a difference of opinion in what pushback means. Okay. 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 Um, those would sort of be the avenues that you would see would be appropriate pushback? Yeah, I see them as appropriate forms of pushback in a free society like what we have. Those are built into the system that we can we can sue people. Uh, and, and we're seeing that happening uh, in, in a lot of cases where mm-hmm. people who restrict... Against a governor themselves, yes, yeah, herself. Against, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, government leaders themselves are now facing um, uh, litigation for their overreaching behavior. and And I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. Um, so I, I don't. I never said in the episode that we should never push back. <laughs> uh, I think mm-hmm. it's just not understanding what I mean by pushback, and how how to yeah how to push back yeah. And if there was a disagreement, maybe it'd be on how, the how. Although he's not really saying how. No, he's, he's not. He's just saying that that it should. Um, but I mean, I think that's that's a good point, isn't it? That to say that uh, what would you call it um, civilly responsible. Mm-hmm to protect our liberties is not to let them be encroached upon until it's at an alarming state yeah. and then say, whoa, I need to do something about this. We should be responsible right. for our liberties to down to the details where when someone, somebody makes a slight overreach, we go, ah, 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 yeah. ah, ah, you know what I mean? And we address it right there. Right. Right. And that's why, you know, I think yeah. a guy on his front porch with a gun ready to shoot at the cops when yeah, he hasn't not... been going to the ballot box, he hasn't been writing right. his Congress people, he hasn't been writing the press. And and now he wants to fight back. Well, I think you've waited too long. Um. <laughs> I think that is inappropriate as well. That specific il- illustration that you give. Yeah, I'm not um, saying Derek is doing that. You, by the way, no. Oh no no no. But I mean, even if you look at our person. founders, you say, well, obviously, you know, they bucked the authority, but they went through a process of appeals. They did. You know what I mean? They they attempt. They made attempts, and when those attempts didn't work, then obviously they had to take the next step. But um, it, there there isn't. You know, there is the system of appeals. There's the art of appeal. You know how you appeal something, yeah. and uh, and those should be going through proper channels. 
Then he says, uh, your discussion of the Easter play, which I did not see, uh, brought thoughts to my mind. More than the specific perspectives of the characters brought forth through the play, I believe the goal was to cause people to think, or shall we say reason together? Yeah, we <laughs> shall say that. <laughs> about, about their preconceived notions of who Jesus was and begin to ponder his humanity along with his deity and maybe study it out further for themselves. And I, I guess I hadn't quite thought of that, but to say, yeah, maybe that was part of the... That sure. at least is what, whether it was purposeful or not, and I guess to some degree it is, that's one of the effects of a play like that is to make you ponder more in depth or more more than you have before and say, well, what, what was Jesus actually like in his humanity? Yeah. I mean, because if you're like me, there's sort of like certain snapshots mm-hmm. that you take. You're like, oh, I see Jesus teaching this lesson and he's calm and he's this. But you don't literally think of a 24-hour day right. and, you know, and how he did this and what he did this. And, and like we even just brought up his humor. Um, you know, and so, yeah, does, does it end up doing that? And, and maybe that's—I would say that's a positive. Um, that's a positive trait of, of, of a um, tastefully done drama. Yeah. You know, that it causes you to think that— um, then, let's see, he goes, uh, being a parent for only a year, I have little experience in this, but when you're talking about Jesus being omniscient, laughing at humor or not, and I thought that was an interesting point you brought up, I thought it is more like a parent telling a kid's joke. <laughs> One adult might not tell another adult the same joke, but they may tell it, tell it or listen to it from a child, and the child will find it very funny. I think the same is of Jesus. He probably would joke, but enjoy and laugh more at the enjoyment and laughter of the disciples or those he was telling it to or listening to it from, uh, which is funny, yeah. more of a laugh from love. You know, it's just funny to think of him. Yeah, just the thought that I'm telling you a joke that you as humans, <laughs> well, my, I mean, yes, he was human, but I mean, you as non omniscient right. you know, you as finite people <laughs> will find funny. <laughs> right, right. And I, anyway, that's interesting. Um, also, I think jokes and joking is a lot uh, like maybe 3D perception. I know some people that can't picture or envision something in 3D in their mind, but I can. I know some that can draw life art and others who can't but can draw architectural shapes and dimensions. I think different people perceive funnies differently, and that's absolutely yeah, true. Sure. And that uh, that's a neat study is the studies of humor. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why are the Three Stooges funny to some people where, you know, other satire is funny to other right. people or whatever? Um, that's, that's an interesting take. Man, uh, Derek, thank you so yes. much for all that feedback. Uh, even, hey, I don't mind at all when you say, I'm not sure I agree, yeah. you know, so long as we can push back on that or you say, I don't think you thought of this. I appreciate all that. And that's great. Yes. Thank you, Derek. We appreciate that. This has been a very Derek episode. <laughs> that's right. We had uh, one like this a while back where one of our patrons, Omar, had a bunch of feedback and took a whole episode. That's right. We called it a very Omar episode. I think we'll call this one a very Derek episode. That's right. So uh, yeah, you kind of just won yourself episode 91. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, that's great. And pretty much that does take up our time, doesn't it? it does. I don't think we have time to really move on to anything else. Nope, so uh, if, if you're listening and you've got a topic suggestion for us or even a take on something we've been talking about today, feel free to uh, touch base with us at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll look forward to hearing from you. Yes. Well, thank you very much for joining us again on episode 91 of the Reason Together podcast. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.